I've been sitting here talking for weeks about how certain markets have become we're experiencing a deflationary monetary outbreak. And that deflationary money was going to cause a credit crunch that would eventually lead to a deflationary economy. And the deflationary economy, that isn't necessarily about falling consumer or producer prices, mainly about falling employment, maybe even rapidly falling employment. We've been calling for mass layoffs for quite some time. But apart from these curves and market positions, what does the actual data tell us? Now today, of course, is Friday, May 5th, and it's the first Friday in May. So that means we got the payroll numbers. What do the payroll numbers tell us about this possibility of a deflationary economy? Where are we in the process according to the statistics provided by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the BLS? And what they say is kind of what Mohammed El Arian had said earlier this year. Remember back in February, we got the January payroll report that was a big one, a huge one, that got everybody talking about transitory disinflation, about reignited inflation risk, about the no landing scenario, not even a soft landing, but a no landing scenario. And Mr. El Arian had worried that maybe this was a monetary phenomenon because in his words, well, here's what he wrote in the Financial Times. This time around, and according to long-standing indices, develops, developments in financial conditions have divorced themselves from monetary policy. They are as loose today as they were a year ago before the Fed embarked on its 450 percentage point rate hiking cycle, which is now up to 500%. And this loosening has been turbocharged since the December Fed policy meeting. All of this is consistent with last Friday's stunning U.S. payroll report. So according to Mohammed El Arian, the decline in long-term interest rates was loosening, that was undoing the tightening the Federal Reserve was trying to do, and that explained why we were having robust payroll reports. Now, I just covered why he's absolutely 100% backwards in all of this loosening stuff, and that falling interest rates, especially inverted curves, are a definitive, conclusive signal about the deflationary money that we're talking about, but his larger point, his other point, the, the part he's starting from stands. What about the payroll numbers? Because the payrolls back in January said something isn't going along toward tightening. Now, he thought tightening was the Federal Reserve when inversions suggested tightening. But here we are in April and payrolls, well, they've gotten substantially weaker, but they haven't fallen off a cliff, which is what everybody associates with when you say the word deflationary money or deflationary economy or god forbid depression they don't think a depression is where payrolls expand by a couple hundred thousand in the month of april so we need to talk about the employment numbers because that's what everybody's been talking about as the counterpoint to what markets are saying but are they actually the counterpoint let's find out first i'm jeff this is Yerodal university thank you very much for joining me if you are interested, we have Eurodollar University memberships available where we go into the background educational aspects of the monetary system. What's actually happening? What is a reserve currency and what is the reserve currency? It's not the U.S. dollar. All, the, all that uh, exclusive video content. We do question and answers. I do a weekly recap uh, along with presentations and the basic series. Lots of stuff available for you at Eurodollar University memberships. Also have research subscriptions where we're going to talk about payrolls, of course. We're going to talk about all the implications of payrolls 
on both the daily briefing I do in, in partnership with Markets Insider Pro, as well as the daily deep dive analysis where we're going to dive deep into not just the payroll reports, but the implications and how they got here. All the information on all of those things, research subscriptions, as well as memberships, eurodollar.dart.university. But we're going to have to start with what the payroll report numbers actually were. Because if you haven't heard, in the month of April, they increased by 253,000 from a substantially downward revised February and March. So maybe that's the more important number than the 253. Because remember, these month-to-month these -month statistics, you never want to focus on a single month because they tend to be noisy. And that has been the case especially over the last several months. I'm going back into the last year. It's as if the economy continues to go down, hiring continues to weaken, but every once in a while, for whatever statistical reason, seasonal adjustment, maybe something in terms of real hiring, it pops back up again, like January. So January, according to the current estimates, is plus 472. That's the number Al Arian was focusing on because it seemed like this was loose financial conditions when it's not loose financial conditions. But immediately after January, in February, last month, the, the uh, BLS said the payroll gain in February was 326. So it looked like there was two months in a row at relatively high rates. But as of today, the BLS has changed its mind. And it downgraded February's number by almost 100,000. Now they're saying it was just 248. The modest slowdown continued, or at least thought to have continued, in March. Uh, according to last month's number, the March payroll was 236. According to this month's revision, March was just 165. So according to the data we have right now, the BLS says we had 472 in January, and that didn't continue in February and March, was an outlier instead. That was an actual outlier. Because now we have just 248 in February and only 165 in March. And now 253 in April. But a lot of that 253, or a substantial chunk of it, too much of a chunk if you ask me, was from the government. What about private payrolls? Private payrolls were far less impressive in January, but still a positive outlier. 353, so that's a good number for any month. Um, even in 2023. But now the BLS says it wasn't 266 in February, it was only 193. And rather than being 189, which was already concerning in March, now they're saying it was 123. That's getting into our recession range uh, quite quickly. So 353, 193, and 123, which the BLS now says for April, rebounded to plus 230. But is that actually a rebound or is this another outlier or is this going to be revised again next week or next month or in the month after? When we stop and look at it instead of in individual months, let's take this in three month segments. Let's go all the way back to April of 2022. The three month average of the private payrolls was plus 515, which seemed consistent with the still reopening, the really the final reopening phase in the U.S. economy, um, trying to get jobs back that were lost uh, in 2020, the recession. Fast forward three months to July 2022, and suddenly the average three-month uh, gain in that period down to 4.06. Another three months ahead to October 2022, 
the three-month average is 316. Now we move forward to January, which includes January's plus 300,000, which, which, which steadied the average at 271. Now the next three-month segment, which includes the latest month, so we've got February, March, and April, and now the average is just 182. So from 515 a year ago to 406 to 316 to 271, and now 182. And 182 doesn't sound like a bad number, but in the context of the rest of the labor data, in particular, the next part we're gonna go over, it's not actually that great, especially when you consider the trajectory here. And the contention has been that this is just a slowdown. And so far, these numbers, even these average numbers, don't suggest anything different than a slowdown either. But that's the point, when we get to recessions, the slowdown doesn't slow down. Instead, it accelerates. So if we're in a pre-recessionary state and then along comes a deflationary outbreak, that might accelerate the downturn, even if it doesn't happen straight away in March and April. In fact, we would expect there to be quite a bit of a lag because as we've continued to point out, as I've continued to point out over the last many six, seven, eight months, companies don't want to embark on layoffs. They don't want to lay off people. They want to make small adjustments. Well, they don't want to make small adjustments, but when confronted with economic weakness, they only want to make minor adjustments before they have to go to the biggest, biggest, the, the most severe adjustment they can make, which is starting to fire a lot of workers. And what we see is when you get away from the establishment survey, the month-to-month -month numbers, you can see them making those adjustments. So companies are hiring less, that much we got from the establishment survey, especially private payrolls, but they're also working their employees less, which is something we did see in the household survey, the level of full-time jobs, until something crazy happened in them. Just to go over that briefly, the household survey, full-time jobs, in February, they, they suddenly skyrocketed by 607,000 in March. They went up by 1.15 million or 1.16 million. That's just crazy. Only 161,000 in April, but that's still a positive. So you put those together, you got almost 2 million jobs in the last three months when absolutely nothing says that, nothing is corroborating that, nothing even close to that. So we can't rely on full-time jobs, but we can rely on the hours indexed. According to the hours index, employment utilization, employment utilization has slowed down substantially and it may have even begun to flatline. And flatlining is something that we see in the hours index 2007 heading into 2008. If we go back to 2007, this hours index, which only goes back to 2006, there are previous hours index that we can't compare them because apparently they didn't have the same um, underlying survey panels and whatnot. But either way, June 2007, the season adjusted hours index hit 100.3, which would prove to be the top, the peak. June 2007, as we know, Ju July and August in particular, 2008 or 2007, deflationary money outbreak. And like today, everybody said, well, the economy's slowing down, but it appears to be holding up relatively well in the face of a massive housing bubble that was collapsing, as well as financial difficulties, some stuff going on in mortgages and products and banks. Remember, those were starting to fail too, late 2007. But the, the hours index, by the time we got to 
January 2008, amidst all of the rate cuts, the index was only down to 100.2. So it was basically down a little bit, then up a little bit, down a little bit in 2000, late the second half of 2007 was nothing worse than flat. And even going forward through the first half of 2008, the hours index only fell to 99 and a half. So from the one, the 12 month or one year period from the end of June, June 2007 through to the end of June 2008, the hours index was only down 0.8%, not a huge recession, not the kind of thing that you would associate with a deflationary economy, but we all know it became. The deflationary money was undermining the economy and through that first half of 2008 was doing nothing more than driving a little bit of adjustments. Companies didn't want to fire lots of workers. They didn't want to hire them either, and they didn't have a lot of work for the workers they were holding on to, but not, it, wasn't the kind of assist, it wasn't the kind of labor market conditions that we associate with those terms, at least not right away. Once you get into July, August, and particularly the, the later months of 2008, obviously that's what we remember, and that's the part that we associate with the deflationary economy. As of the current data, going into 2022 or 2022, going into 2023, the hours index looks a lot like 2007 heading into 2008. It has flatlined, apart from a big jump in January, a 0.8% rise in January. But even including that, we have uh, the index is down in four of the six months. It's up a little bit in April, but that was after a revised, a much bigger decline in March, which means that as of right now, the hours index is basically where it was in February um, and not that much higher than what it was in November. We have just 0.4% increase in hours worked since last October, which coincidentally, which is not coincidentally, but coincident, to the major shift in global curves. It's in that pre-recession or maybe early recession stage. And once the credit crunch really comes down on the rest of the economy, that's where we'll have the big declines. It might take a little while before it actually starts to happen because businesses aren't gonna do it until the credit crunch becomes an actual credit crunch, not just a theoretical risk when it actually hits their front door, when they, when they call up the bank and the bank says, I have no credit to give you, that's when the layoffs start to happen. So the, the hours index, along with the employment numbers themselves, when you take them and as averages and not on monthly numbers, the labor market has slowed way, way down by the time we get to March and April. We see that too, in terms of hourly wages and weekly wages in particular. Average weekly pay of non-supervisory non and production employees, the three-month three month average increase or the three-month overall increase in average weekly earnings was just 0.3%. So from the end of January to the end of, of April, 0.3%. That's the worst since August of 2020, which is consistent with both companies having not a lot for their employees to do, as well as being very careful about how much they pay their employees because they're struggling too. The six month change was 1.8%, which is the worst since December, but only the second time under 2% since February, 2021. 
And this is also consistent, going back to last fall, what we see in hours, what we see in weekly earnings, with a slowdown, a very material slowdown in nominal spending on both goods and services that we got in the data from the BEA last Friday. The BEA had reported PCE numbers in nominal terms, nominal terms, that were essentially flattening out and slowing down too, because of course they would. If the labor market is heading toward a recession, whether we have deflationary money or not, spending is going to come down as well, which is what's triggered the, the, inf the inventory cycle and spreading this economic weakness all throughout the world, as we see in Germany, China, Japan, and elsewhere, even before we get to April, March and April, and now May with banking difficulties. So the point is that we we're, we're already have a questionable, if not weak and recessionary economy before we get to the banking problems, the deflationary money, the or at least the most obvious aspects of deflationary money, does that make it more or less likely that the labor market ahead of us is going to look like Mohammed El Arian was trying to claim earlier this year? Or is it more or less likely the labor market is going to look like what the markets are pricing just ahead? Weak, slow down labor market, credit crunch, companies struggling, and so everything that has happened up to now, even though it doesn't include a massive contraction in labor, it's consistent with markets are pricing, including the potential fallout just ahead. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you. Eurodollar University subscribers, MarketsInsiderPro.com subscribers, and all the Eurodollar University members, my sincere thank you. And until next time, take care.